Okay, so tonight we're starting a uh, brand new year worth of Vaden. The Wednesday night Vad this year is going to be a very interesting series uh, about the life lessons of Rav Shimon Schwab. Rav Shimon Schwab, for those of you who may not know who he was, I'm going to give you a brief biography about him. Um, Rav Shimon Schwab was the German-born uh, Rav. I guess the most famous position that he had was at the last stage of his life when he was the Rav of Washington Heights in the, the Kela of Breuer's uh, Kaladasi Shur in Washington Heights, which is really the the um, the successor of Rav, Rav Hirsch. Rav Shamshrenfall Hirsch had his shul in, uh, in Frankfurt, in Germany, and his um, his son, his son-in-law was Rav Shamshrenfall Shlem, Shlem Zalman Breuer, who was Rav Schwab's rabbi. Rav Schwab was born and bred in Frankfurt, and then he started, uh, after he was, I guess, in high school in Frankfurt, he decided that he wanted to start immersing himself in the Lithuanian yeshivas, in the Eastern European yeshivas. He was from Western Europe, and now he decided that he wanted to learn by the great yeshivas of, of Lithuania, of Poland. So he went to Tells, and he steigt tremendously in Tells, and then he went to... Um, to uh, the Mir, he was a Talmud of Rabbi Rucham, uh, he was a Talmud of a lot of the Rosh Hashivas of the Mir. After he was finished and he got his smicha, uh, he went back to Germany, and he, while he was still unmarried, he got a position as an assistant rabbi in a city called Darmstadt. He then got married, and he accepted in 1933, he was born by the way in 1908, in 1933, he accepted a position of a, as rabbi in a place called Ichenhausen, or Ischenhausen in Germany. And there's a very interesting story that happened when he was a rav in that city in Germany. Uh, he decided that he wanted to open up a yeshiva. And he started getting Bachram together to join that yeshiva. But immediately he ran into trouble. There were threats that were made by the local Nazi activists. This is already 1934. So the, the Nazis already come to power. And they started threatening that if you open up a school here, we're going to kill you. We're going to you know, kill the Bachram in the school. And I think they opened up the school. And that same day, they had to basically close the school. And they had to send all of the Bachram home. I don't know how many Bachram there were. But they, uh, they, were, they were sent home. And the interesting part of the story is that Rav Schwab found in, uh, in Sefer Hasidim, Sefer Hasidim was written by the early Chachme um, Hasidei Ashkenaz. He said, it says there that there will be a, uh, there, will, there is a, uh, some, an Ish Echad. Right. Exactly. There was going to be somebody from Schwabach, I think it was, and he, and he was going to open up Yeshiva, but it will not be Matzliach. This was written like hundreds of years before this, and Rav Schwab like, took this as a tremendous, like, uh, um, you know, he was very happy in a sense 
not that the yeshiva closed, but that this great gain of hundreds of years earlier, already Baruch HaKadosh alluded to the fact that he would try to open up yeshiva, but it wouldn't be Matzliach in that particular uh, town. After that, he knew that he had to get out of Germany. He applied for a job in a shul, a German shul in Baltimore. Um, it was called Sheerif Israel. He traveled to the United States and um, he, he was accepted as the rabbi. Uh, and, uh, and from there, eventually, after serving uh, as Rav in Baltimore for many years, he went in 1958 and he joined Rav Yosef Breuer, who was the Rav and founder of the Breuer's community in Washington Heights that's still around today. If you go to Washington Heights today on the other side of town, YU is on one side of town, and on the other side of town, if you walk you know, up a little bit for maybe, I don't know, a mile or so, uh, there is the Yekisha part of town, the Breuer's part of town, and, and that's where Rav Schwab served as a rabbi from 19... Um, 58, until he was nifter on Purim Katan at the age of 86 in the year 1995. Rav Schwab wrote many popular svarim. Um, Rav Schwab on prayer, I don't know if anyone's ever seen that, that's a classic on prayer. They put out uh, more recently Rav Schwab on, uh, on Ezra Nechemyah, Rav Schwab on Eiv, um, a few other volumes of Shab, I think, on Yirmiyahu, Ishaya, and uh, and then and of course of Schwab on Chumash, which is the Mayan base Hashoeva, which is the primary sefer that we're going to be learning this year, uh, and also was recently translated into English, and it's called Rav Schwab on Chumash. And this is this is what Rav Schwab looks like for those of you who may not know. Uh, he was an Adam Gadol Admite. He was a very eloquent, even though he was from Germany, so, and he had a slight German accent, but he worked on his English, and his English became really you know, beautiful English. And he was, I heard, I heard him many times speak because I grew up in Washington Heights until I was four, and we kept going back to Washington Heights. So I had a, a close Kesher with him, Baruch Hashem. And, uh, but his... Uh, he was like always a speaker at the CMHS and at the Agoda conventions, and he was always uh, able to convey the clear Torah perspective on any given issue of the day. Whatever the, whatever the burning issues were at the time, he was able to come up with a, a very cogent argument of what the Torah's perspective is on any given, uh, on any given topic. And so he was very sought after as a speaker, and, uh, and his svarim, there's a three-volume trilogy, um, collected speeches, collected writings, or no, selected, selected, selected speeches, selected writings, and selected essays. I have them in my office if you ever want to borrow them. I think we have them in the library here in Yeshiva as well. But it's also like a lot of the articles were originally published uh, in the Jewish Observer and other uh, periodicals, and uh, but his words were really always beautifully expressed and to the point. And uh, he was a very great man who uh, who left a tremendous legacy for Klal Yisrael. What I'd like to do this year in this vad is every week learn a piece from Rav Schwab's Sarim. A lot of it is going to be from Mayim Beis Hashavah, but it, we're not going to be limited to that. And I think that we're going to really uh, be exposed to a lot of beautiful 
uh, thought a lot of his pieces are already classics. I think uh, this Sefer, Mayim Beis HaShreva, just by a show of hands, does anyone own it at home? Okay, it's a very popular bar mitzvah present. It's like, you know, it's one of those, like, contemporary classics. And you'll see why, because he brings beautiful ideas, and we're going to supplement the ideas that he brings with life lessons that we could take from these ideas. This Sefer is going to be... Um, a companion of mine and ours throughout the year because this was written by his son, uh, Mayor Schwab, and, um, and he basically brings a lot of great stories about his father tying in to the individual pieces that he translated. So we're going to, um, I'm giving you straight up my cheat sheet. This is where I'm getting, if I'm bringing great stories, a lot of times it's going to be from the safer, but we're going to learn it together. And, uh, and we're going to see it inside, and I think every week we're going to come away, Amir Hashem, uh, inspired. Let's begin. So this week's parsha is Parsha Shaiftim. If you look on the first column, Perak Yud Zayin, Pasuk Yud Zayin, the Pasuk says, V'lo nashim, you should not um, have, this is talking about the Melech of Klai Yisrael, there is a, the Pasuk is warning the king of Klai Yisrael, whoever the king might be, that you're not allowed to have too many wives, because there is a fear that if you have too many wives, then you're, they're going to take away your heart from Hashem. We want to make sure that the king of Klai Yisrael is completely, obser- completely in obeyance with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and is a servant of Hashem, and that is, is humble, and is able to be a complete public servant. And we're afraid that if he has too many wives, um, that that might be a problem. It might be that he has too many wives, and it's going to just be too much for him to handle. He's going to be seduced by them, and he's going to maybe follow up. A desire of some of them uh, are so inclined. And so the Torah is warning us, to, do not take too many wives. Uven medrash shemais do not have too many wives, that your heart does not wander. So Shlema Melech got up. Shlema Melech was the smartest. He was very, very smart. He was the wisest of all men. He wrote Kaheles, uh, which is a book of tremendous uh, insight and wisdom into life. He wrote Shirashirim. He wrote Mishlei, Proverbs. These are all exceptional works of brilliance. Shlomoach was a, a very, very highly intelligent man. And he sort of was too wise. He, he outwised, he outsmarted, as it were, the Gezer of Hashem, the Amar. And he said, Why did Hashem say that a king can't have too many wives? Obviously, the Pasuk says, you don't have to divine that, the Pasuk is very clear. The reason why you shouldn't be taking too many wives is because we're afraid that you might start wandering away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Torah. Ani, says Shlema, Arbe, I'll have many wives. I know myself, I'm a very from Melech, I'm never going to wander, my heart's going to stay in place. I could take as many wives as I want, because after all, the Torah is giving us a reason. The Torah is giving us a reason that uh, that, that do, the reason doesn't apply to me. So if the reason doesn't apply to me, so I don't have to keep it. That's what Shlema Melech says, says the Medrash. Omer so the rabbi said, that word, the, the letter Yud, the Ois Yud in the word, do not 
have too many wives, do not multiply the amount of wives that you have. That Yud got up, and it uh, went and it like sort of lodged the complaint. It went before Hashem, the Amra, Reba in Ha'ilamim. Didn't you tell me that a, a letter is never going to be bottled from the Torah? Every letter in the Torah is precious. There's not a single letter that even a kutza shal yud, as Chazal say, even a, the little tip of the little, the smallest letter, which is yud, if you take even the tip of that yud, that is Kaidish Kadashim. You can't mess with any letter of the Torah. So this letter Yod of Yarbeh went up before Hashem and says, I don't understand. Didn't you say that there's not a single letter that's ever going to be bottled from the Torah? But yet Shleim HaMelech is got it getting up and he's being mevatel me. Amr LaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Shleim HaMelech, so you could take Shleim and a thousand Shleim in the same boat, you, betalen, they'll all be bottled as far as I'm concerned. Vekutza mimcha, but a, a little sharp edge of you, of you, letter yod, eni mevatel. Meaning, it's more important that a, a kutza shal yod remains and a thousand shlemas disappear. I'm, I'm more makbed on your covet, on the, on the covet of the Torah, on the covet of every letter in the Torah, more than a thousand shlema melechs. The Chenu Yerushalmi brings that this is what Yerushalmi in Sanhedrin as well. I don't understand what this message is talking about. Lama Kitchaga Rak Aisyod. Why is only the Aisyod being Makatrig, lodging a, a complaint against Hashem? Shouldn't the entire Pasuk have had an issue with what Shlemamelk was doing? Shlomoach wasn't just going against the ice yod. Shlomoach was really going against the whole pasuk. The whole pasuk is saying you shouldn't have too many wives so that your heart doesn't wander. And and Shlomo says, huh, I know my heart's not going to wander. That's for people that whose hearts wander. I could have as many wives as I want, and I'm going to be fine. That seems to be going against the whole pasuk. Why is it only the ice yod that had the complaint against Shlomoach? This is Rav Schwab's question. Vinira. Shlema Melech knew that there is only a heter to marry 18 wives. That's really the Chazal tell us that you're not, you can have more than one wife if you're a king. A regular person can have more than one wife, right? Before the, uh, before Chema ben Gershom, you could have, you could take more wives. I don't mind taking more wives, I just wouldn't want more than one mother-in-law. But that's another story. But um, I'm, that was a joke. But, um, but the, you could take more wives, but there's a maximum ceiling of a king, and that is 18. 18 wives is the max. You can't go more than 18 wives. Okay? So, and Shlomo Melch knew that. Shlomo Melch knew that there was a restriction of 18 wives. Elisha Amar. So why would he try to go higher than that? Because he said, Since the Torah gives us a reason. I mean, if the Torah would just be a Gezeris HaKosav, don't take more than one, don't take too many wives. So, okay, 18's the number, I'm machnia myself to the Torah, Torah says 18, I'll comply. Just like the Torah says, I should put on tefillin, I should put on tzitz, I shouldn't eat. Tarfus, Shlemimel kept all the mitzvahs of the Torah, trust me. So this would also be, but if the Torah goes out of its way and tells us a reason, gives us a reason, why, why can't you, it's not a chaik, 
There's a reason that the Torah is given, because if you take too many wives, your heart is going to wander. Im Cain, b'makem she'barer lai, if I'm clear, this is what Shlomo Melch was thinking, all right, that if I'm, if I'm sure that this doesn't apply to me, it's mutter. It's only not mutter if you're, if you're in play, you're in flux, like you might go either way. If I take too many wives, they might you know, start messing with my brain, I start, might go off the darach or something, but I'm very rock solid, I know that I'm good, I'm fine, I can have a thousand wives and nothing will happen to me. So if that's the case... So then why would Shlema Melech, uh, so Shlema Melech says, this, this, this doesn't apply to me. The sheer Shlema Melech benafshay, Shlai nashim He was able to assess about himself that I could take many wives and my heart will not wander. After all, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Shlema Melech. Shlema Melech wrote, like I said before, Shira Shirim. What is Shir Hashirim all about? Shir Hashirim is Kaidesh Kadashim. It's holy of holies. That's what the Mishnah and Yadayim says. The Kulai Avas Hashem. And all of Shir Hashirim is Avas Hashem. It's the love of Hashem. The Chalan Nashim Sheba Oilam, Leisuchlenu Laaviroi, Midvekusa Bagadishbrach. You have to know who Shlema Melch was. If Shle- whoever wrote Shir Hashirim, obviously is so dovuk in Hashem, is so cling to Hashem that no woman would ever be able to get between him and God. Shir Hashem is the most beautiful song ever. It was Kaidish Kadashim. The whole world, Chazal tell us, was, uh, was in Kedai until Shir Hashem was written. Shlem Elch was, was, was the closest being in the world possibly to the Rabbi Shalom. Ani that's, uh, that's taken from Shir Hashem. Um, so many of the, the great Sukkim of Shir Hashirim speaks about the great love, Kichelas Ava Ani, yeah, I was thinking about the, uh, um, I was thinking about the Pasuk at the beginning, Yishikenim Nishikas Piyo, Kitayim Dedach Miyayin, you say it every, every, every Arab Shabbos, right? Almost. So, so all the women in the world, Shlomo Melch knew, would not be able to get between him and Hashem. The Alkain b'Shoa Shekara Parshas Hamelach. When he read the Parshas Hamelach, this Parsha in in Shaftim in Parsha Shaftim, Hidgish Ois Yud Hamara Alacherim. There was a dogish. There was an emphasis on the letter Yud. What does the letter Yud do? Any baledictok here in the room? What? You're a baledictok. You, you, you seem like a baldicta. Right. Yarba means that it's talking about acherim. Yarba means it's not a direct, it's not a direct sivoy, right? A direct sivoy would be what? How would you say a direct sivoy? What? With a tough, maybe. With a yud, Yarba means somebody else, somebody else might come and, and take, uh, take too many wives. But... Me, I could take many wives. I, I mean, it's not a problem for me. Other people, Yarbe, for somebody else, that would be a problem. Meaning they're, the Torah is talking like to Yenim, to somebody else. Yarbe means other people. It's not talking to me. It's talking to somebody else. Vapirish hu, shat sivu 
Ella al kol shar hamalachim asin lamet. Other kings in the future that are going to be the monarchs of Klai Yisrael. That's who the Torah was talking about. V'lochein daika ois yud. Also, That's why specifically that Ois Yod. Because if the Pasuk would not have said an Ois Yod, then Shlemelech would have been, would have been the first one to admit that, okay, it's Xeris HaKasav, we all have to stick to it. Yarbeh, that, that Yod was what really, uh, got Shlemelech's uh, opinion sharpened that I don't have to do this. I can take as many wives as possible. I, it says, well, Yarbeh, yeah, but the Yod says, other people. He read it that it's not talking to me. Somehow. I don't know how Shlemelech actually thought this, but look, we're, we're not Shlomo the, the bottom line is that what happened with Shlomo Melech? What happened with Shlomo Melech? He actually took many wives, and what happened? They worshipped over the Zara, they didn't stop him, it, wasn't, it didn't end up too good. Wasn't so pretty what was going on by Shlomo Melech's palace, and they, they created Avedizara in there, and um, yeah, he had a thousand wives, and 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 from he took from he took from Mitzrayim and everything. Yeah, so so um, that is uh, that is the vart from a shrub. So I wanted to just tell you a story that he brings over here. Uh, a very very uh, I love this. I love all the stories of a shrub. My father Elvis Shalom, was very close to a shrub, and. He used to always tell me a lot of stories. So over the year, Mitz Hashem will get into a lot of these things. Rav Shrab was very, he was known as the Ish Emes. When, when he was Nifter, there was a, a cover of the Jewish Observer that was Agudah's magazine at the time. They stopped printing it, but, and, and it was called, the, the, on the cover it said about a picture of Rav the Ish HaEmes. He was known as a man of tremendous integrity. And we'll see how that plays out in a lot of the things that he did, and a lot of his opinions, and a lot of his Torah that we're going to learn together. He was a person that was straight as an arrow. He wasn't looking for money. He wasn't looking for cover. He just wanted to do the Ratzon Hashem. And we're going to... Uh, and we're going to spend Hashem, a lot of time learning from him this year and gaining a lot of life lessons. So this is the story that accompanies this uh, particular Shtikol uh, Taira. Rav Schwab used to tell of the day that he arrived in America in December of 1936. A few hours after he got off the boat from Europe, so he got onto a trolley in New York City, everybody knows what a trolley is. In the olden days, they used to have like these trains. Like I think in San Francisco, they still have them, and I think in, in where else in Philadelphia, I think they still have them. It's like it's sort of like a train, but it goes on like the regular roads. What? Yeah. So like the Israeli um, bus? Light rail. No, it's not like a bus. It's like a. It's like a, yeah, maybe, but it's a, yeah, look it up. It's, it's like a trolley. It's a, okay, in Europe, now in Europe, bus or train passengers would take a seat and wait for the conductor to come through to collect the fare. So Schwab didn't know what America was all about. So he didn't know that in New York you were supposed to pay as soon as you boarded the vehicle, right? There's a box. You're supposed to put the money in the box or give it to the bus driver, like in Israel, you know, while he's, while he's going 100 miles an hour around a steep cliff and, you know, he's taking your money, punching your tickets and whatever. So that's sort of what it was like uh, over here. And, um, but he didn't know. So he got onto the bus and he was, you have to understand, this wasn't Miriam, this was like he was the most ethical, honest man in the world. We'll tell a lot of stories as the year goes, but um, he didn't know. He thought he was waiting for the conductor to come. 
He took a seat and waited. The driver looked in his mirror at Rav Schwab and said, Mister, you forgot to pay. So Rav Schwab, not knowing who he was referring to or exactly what he was saying, because his English wasn't so good at the time, didn't respond. And the driver repeated himself, Sir, you forgot to put your nickel in the box. Still, the Rav paid no attention. After waiting another moment during which all the passengers turned to stare at the Rav, the driver turned around and pointed at him, Hey, mister, I mean you. In great embarrassment, the Rav got up, paid the driver, and took his seat again. Feeling great shame, he alighted, that means he got off at the next stop and waited for the next bus, not knowing exactly what to do. Rav Schwab took Musar Haskell from this. Whenever we learn something in the Torah, or read a statement of Chazal, we should not think that it is referring to someone else. We should remember that bus driver. Hashem is pointing at us and saying, Hey, mister, I mean you. And that's a great tie-in with this vart, because that's really what, what right? The Torah is saying to Shlomo Melech, I'm not talking to Achirim. Yeah, you, you, you chop that yud, but that's not really... That's not really what I want. I, I'm talking to you, Shlomo Melech. I'm not talking to some other king. You're the other king I'm talking to. You're the king. And, and this is a very, very important insight in life because a lot of times the way that the human psychology is that we have um, reasons to think that it's applying to everybody else, but it's not applying to me. We go to a shir, we go to a shmuz, we go to uh, whatever. We hear some words of uh, musr, and we say, that's a great var. I love it. You know, it, this is so, Rebbe, that was such a good var. Everyone in the shir really needed to hear that. And what that means is, everybody but me. You know, I'm good with Lashon Hara. You know, everybody else needs to hear about Lashon I have my deal with the, with the Rebbe Shalom. I know what to say. I know sometimes I slip up or whatever. But every time you hear a speech you tend to like sort of, you know, deflect the, the vart and you think that everybody else is talking to everybody else in the room. There's a great vart, a, a great story that I think Rav Shalom Shvadron used to say that there was a, a Magid that once came to town. The way it used to work in the old days in Europe was that a Magid was like a public speaker, like that he would go from town to town and he would, uh, you know, get permission to speak in the local shul and, uh, and then if you liked what he said, then you'd put money in his, in his pushka, and he would make, that's how he'd make his barnasa. And he'd give musr shmuz and his iris. So he once went into like some town that he never was in before, and he said, um, and he starts giving, it was like I guess this time of year, and he's giving a real fire and brimstone shmuz, and he was saying, everybody in this town is going to die someday. Everybody in this town is going to be Yaman Mavis and you have to do tshuva and everybody's crying. This guy was such a powerful speaker. Everybody was bawling. But there was one guy in the back of the room and he was just like, like shrugging his shoulders, like looking at his watch, like checking his, his text messages. Like he wasn't like, he wasn't reacting. The whole room, and again, and this guy like, you know, this maggot was really like, he, he forgot about the whole, all hundred people in the room, 300 people in the room. He just was focused on this guy. He had to get him to tears. And he says, everybody in this town is going to die someday. You have to do tshuva. Either a Shalom is going to put a din v'cheshpun to everybody and you're going to die. And everybody in this, and again, this, everybody's going crazy. It was mom stirring up the whole room into a frenzy. 
And, and this guy was just like completely like non, you know, nonplussed. He didn't care. He wasn't inspired. He wasn't moved. He wasn't crying. If anything, he just like, it was going like right over his head. And he kept doing this again and again. And at the end of the shear, he says, you know, uh, you know, and then everybody's shkayach, and they all come crowding around him and giving him a shkayach and putting money in his pushka. But he didn't care. He, he made a beeline straight for that guy in the back of the room. And he, he picked him up by his lapel. And he says, buddy, I got the whole room to cry and I couldn't budge you. What's your, what's your deal? So he said, well, I'll tell you the truth. He says, you kept saying that everybody in this town is going to die. He says, I'm from out of town. This isn't my town. I'm just, I'm just visiting, just like you're visiting. I'm, I'm visiting. It doesn't, it doesn't, what you're saying didn't apply to me. And that's like a muscle of what really we all do in a certain sense. We all listen to Shmuzen, we listen to Musa, we might read a lot of Svarim, read a lot of books, but at the end of the day, there's sort of like a cognitive dissonance, like it doesn't apply to me. There's something about it that, you know, I, I don't want it to apply, I don't think that it applies to me. You can have a guy like, you know, smoking, and, you know, he goes into like the, he goes into, um, like a duty-free shop in, 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 uh, in, in Ben-Gurion Airport, and there's pictures of, like, diseased lungs. And it says, smoking in, like, size 100 font. Smoking will kill. Smoking will kill, an, you know, will, will ruin a, a, a fetus. And, and this guy's, like, buying 10 packs of them, and he's taking it into that, you know, that smoking chamber, and he's just puffing away. And, like, uh, you wonder, like, what's this guy? The, the answer is, he thinks, he believes it. He knows that smoking kills. It's just not going to kill me. And that's the way people are. We're like this with everything, by the way. We, 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 we live, you know, in a certain, in a bubble that we think that everything is true, but it's true for everybody else, not true. It's Shlomo Melech's what he's doing. Yeah, the Torah says it, but he's not talking, the Torah's not talking, I can handle it, and he can't. The Torah is talking to every one of us, and the Torah is pointing its finger at everyone, and I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to everybody, I'm talking, pretend that I'm just talking to you. And when we have that attitude and that maturity, that taka, I just learned this halacha, this halacha applies to me. Or I just heard this speech and this, this gadol is saying something that what I should change in my life. Maybe you know, I have to like, uh, you know, minimize my, uh, my addiction to technology or minimize my addiction to, uh, I don't know, whatever it is that, you know, whatever it is that the gadolim are saying that we have to try to do. And we think, but they don't know what, where I came from. They don't know my background. It doesn't apply to me because I grew up this way and my parents are that and, my, and my, my siblings did this to me. My Rebbe did that to me. And so it doesn't apply to me. We, we make a bulletproof vest, a, a shield around ourselves that everything that we hear applies to everybody else but not me. And a maturity, a way of really becoming a true Ben Taira and being a, a Balmusser and somebody that could really change, and we want to change, we want to better ourselves, is by being able to understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Taira is saying, hey, mister, I'm talking to you. And the sooner that we understand that, that it's me that has to, that, has to be, that, that the Taira is addressing, the sooner that I could say, okay, if the Taira wants me to do that, I got to change. Because it's not about everybody else. It's really all about me. Okay, let me say. Thank you.